Hi, this is Catherine Lasota, host of LIC Reading Series, a monthly event at LIC Bar in Long Island City, Queens. In this episode of our podcast, you're going to hear the panel discussion from our July 11, 2017 event, featuring Angelica Baker, Lisa Coe, and Courtney Mom. If you want to hear the readings from these authors, just listen to our last episode. In this episode, you're also going to hear, as you always do in our panel discussions, about the Magic Silver Box. The Magic Silver Box is something that we ask our audience members to put questions into, and then if I ask those questions during the panel discussion, the audience members who asked them win prizes. So let's get started with our panel discussion featuring Angelica Baker, Lisa Coe, and Courtney Mom's first appearance at the LIC Reading Series. Now is the time when we're all so lucky because we're going to have all three of our readers come up back up on the stage and we're all going to have a little chit chat. So pick whatever um, you want here and we'll get you set up. Let's start off with just, let's start in the beginning. Um, (laughs) Courtney, you talked a little bit about the genesis of your book and, and thinking about like maybe humans might lose instinct as they evolved. And this was, you thought about this in the course of your book. Um, so I'd like to hear from the rest of the group. How, where did the idea, where, what was the, the beginning spark for your novels here? And you're both debut novelists. This is your first, this is a big round of applause <laughs> for our two debuts here. Lisa? Um, Sure. Um, My novel actually began with a New York Times article that I got really obsessed with back in 2009. And it was about um, an undocumented Chinese immigrant who'd been found in a Florida detention center. And she had a son that she tried to bring into the country and he had gotten adopted by uh, a Canadian couple. and I, I started just reading and doing more research and, and finding out about a lot of similar stories um, that had happened with undocumented immigrant parents who'd had their U.S.-born kids taken away from them by the U.S. government and then um, mostly adopted by white middle-class families. So I just it just brought up a lot of questions for me. It was really horrifying, um, but really kind of intrigued me in terms of the issues that it brought up around assimilation and um, immigration and detention and, and you know, kind of just like, why did the parents have to go? Um, they were often being deported or detained um, and the kids had to stay. And so I started writing about these characters and it kind of blew up in a whole different way. Shame that's not more topical. No, I know, right? Now you know it's like, yes, this is a very timely book. That you yeah. Um, I, so there is a teenage girl who's the daughter of the CEO in my book and she's 15. When this stuff was going on, I was older. I was, I was in college. And so it kind this, of, this stuff being the 2008, the, when, 2000, <laughs> the financial crisis, the financial crisis, this stuff. Um, so I was not someone who was eligible to have a job in finance, but I was surrounded by people who were looking for those jobs and kind of wondering if they were going to exist or if everything was going to change. And there was, I feel like a period of about a a year, maybe even less where everyone was kind of holding their breath, like, Oh, maybe we're going to have to change how we do this. And then everyone kind of waited and then just resumed everything that had been going on before. 
So I was really interested in that idea of like, what had we learned from that? And also what, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, you know, that feeling of you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and are you going to have to change your life or change your outward attitudes about your life if the other shoe does drop. And so I was thinking about all that for a couple of years. And then I started thinking just very basically about what if you were a teenage girl and that was your father, because he, Lehman Brothers, which is my book is not based on Lehman Brothers, but there are similarities in certain ways. Um, the CEO of Lehman Brothers really was vilified and was kind of public enemy number one. And I feel like was maybe at the time, one of the only people that the average person could name, you know, they knew the CEO by name. So I started thinking about there was a whole system. There were a lot of people that created the situation. One person was vilified above all others. What if that was someone that you loved? Um, and then as I kept writing and slowly added perspectives in and started looking at more and more characters, I kind of figured out what I was doing without having realized it, which was looking at the women and looking at the community in Connecticut rather than like a financial thriller, which I would not have been qualified to write anyway. Uh, so yeah, so that's how my book started. Huh. It, it's it's too, it's really interesting that your uh, our little racket is told by the perspective of all these different women. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wonder how that, that decision happened. And then maybe for all of you, um, uh, Lisa, your book is written from, you know, you get, uh, you get the, you get Deming's story, you also get Holly's story. And then Courtney, you've written from perspective of both men and women, and is, do you prefer to write from perspective of men or women, each of you? Is there, is, is, do you feel, I, I don't know, I'm asking this question, we have a panel of all women up here, and I always love when we have a panel of all women, because we, I don't know, talk about interesting things, but I, this is a very <laughs> unformed question, and I just, I guess just the idea of like, who do you choose your, who do you choose is going to tell your story? Like how, how did you, you know, this is like touches from Sloan's perspective, not from Roman's. Well, it is now. Like 27,000 drafts. That's how you find out which point of view for me. I mean, I, I mean, I'm joking a little, not very much, actually. But I, for me, I, I really prefer to write from a male point of view. My first novel, which was much easier to write, um, is from a, a British man's point of view. And for me, um, I really like to make things up. And so the more I can fictionalize something, the more unfamiliar... I mean, to a certain extent, I don't want to be in, in completely territory I know absolutely nothing about. Um, I want to have some knowledge of what I'm talking about. But with the writing from a, ma a male point of view, it's much easier for me to invent the, um, especially the family characters without them be being my family. And when I write from a female point of view, which I try to do never, um, <laughs> I can't, like, my mom and my dad are, like, barreling down the door and all <laughs> the problems I've had in my family are trying to force themselves into the story when they, they actually actively don't serve the narrative. Mm. Um, so I, I but it, for Touch, it, 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 it had to be a woman because it's about instinct and intuition and I, I, I love men, I love my man, but it's just we are biologically um, made with keener instincts 
we really I'm sorry guys but we are you know as as and I think it has to do with the fact that we can become mothers and so we just have um an almost animalistic power to to sense things no no I agree with you I'm curious <laughs> I mean, if our other like the best yeah we're, we are the best do you guys agree that we're the best, we're the best. yes or yeah <laughs> yeah hard yes um what was the question <laughs> oh no I I I definitely do write from female characters' perspectives much more often than men. But with this book, it started with this idea of this one character, this teenage daughter of this person. And it was in the first person and it was so like narrow and pinched and, and wasn't going anywhere. And somebody said to me, why would you do it in the first person? And so that kind of opened up a lot for me. And then I really, it was happening organically, which is like such a pleasant <laughs> memory of this time when I was like writing and things were happening. Um, It'll never but, happen again. Okay. Welcome to the set. But I was kind of, I was in grad school. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I was in grad school and I was turning stuff in on deadlines really um, quickly, which is not, you know, I don't usually turn in rough drafts and stuff like that. And someone said to me, I assume we're, we're working up to the CEO's perspective. And I went, absolutely not. And it was the first time that it had clicked for me. And I was like, oh, I'm not actually interested yeah. in writing that part of what's going on. So for me, it wasn't so much that I excluded men, although that's what happened. It was more about, I'm not interested in the negotiating that's going on at the bank. I'm not interested in whatever maneuvering is going on with the government or the bank or you know the actual malfeasance or anything like that. I'm, I'm interested in the sphere at home and the children and the community that they've created and what's going on. And in the, you know, the industry that I was writing about, it is fairly segregated. I had a like 75 year old, very waspy woman come to my Boston reading and was like, there were plenty of women working at these banks. Like, why didn't you write about them? Which is my fiance pointed out was kind of weird because she was basically like, women were just as culpable in this financial right. crime. Like, why didn't you write about them? Um, and it's true. I mean, you know, they're, there's a story that could have been written about the CFO who is a female at the bank that I'm writing about just as easily as there could have been a story about, you know, poor women somewhere in the Midwest who were affected by the housing market crashing that could have been written about. I mean, there why are a lot of ways to approach everything. Why didn't you write all she, the books? Yeah, she was like, she was like, why did you pick this book to write? And I was like, great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I didn't pick to write about women on purpose until I realized I was doing it. Yeah, I feel like most of the seven and a half years it took me to write the novel was trying to figure out like how to best tell the story um, and where, like what, how to best tell the story and like from whose point of view to tell it from. So as Courtney mentioned, that took a lot of stabs and um, <laughs> and failing at it and so I pretty much tried every combination of point of view and um, first person third person present tense past tense um, it kind of started off as Polly's story but as time went by I realized like it kind of had to be your son's story and what I really wanted to write about was his search for his mom so it was less about this like terrible event and more just sort of what exactly happens to this family? You know, how does this, how do these characters kind of um, search for home and belonging um, and define themselves in a world where that's often taken away from them? And so that sort of led me to write more from Deming's point of view, which was actually fairly easy because I think it was in third person and that 
maintains a little bit of distance. Um, where when I do write in first person from a female point of view, it does sometimes get to be too much like me. And it's, and it's hard, like you mentioned, to sort of step back in that way. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all, I mean, I think all three of your books are actually quite timely. Like, Angelica, what happened? Nothing. And like, oh, crap, is that... The women behind corrupt men? No. <laughs> That's not relevant. Not relevant That's not relevant at all right now. No one's no one's curious. I know. Seriously, it's not funny. It's no, not I mean it's like it's not a laugh. We line. can all laugh here together in this safe space and weep, but we're crying inside and weep and drink. Um, but oh, uh, so yeah. So unfortunately, timely some of them, and um, I mean, so I guess you you spend this time writing the book the book publishes then it's out in the world and the world continues to happen and then you talk about the book and how does your relationship to it change once it's out there in the world or has it changed since since it's been published and out there and and maybe courtney can speak to this as your second novel you you made a comment while angelica was speaking about the you know <laughs> the loss of innocence the loss of innocence <laughs> that, yeah that comes with the second book um well, I mean, for me, the 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 way it feels to have a book out there, it feels the same as it did with the first book. Um, and this might be particular to me, but um, I was pretty good about seeing it once we got to a certain place, and then there were no more edits as a as a product, really. Um, and that I'm not saying that to cheapen it, but that I just was like, okay, how does how what's what's the packaging like like does it look good it has a great cover okay great now i am the publicist for this product you know because it, it you can't um i mean you can if you want to but for me i wasn't like desperately holding on to the way i wanted either book to be interpreted or received in the world well that's not true obviously you want it to be well <laughs> received i'm not gonna be ridiculous but what i mean is when you go to readings you're not sitting there hoping that the two people, you know, in the audience at your readings, um, <laughs> I just sort of- Look at, look at this crowd. No, no, this, no, this yeah. is a great crowd. <laughs> I said, when I book, when you, they send you out yeah. to the Midwest and you're like, but I don't know anyone. They're like, no, it'll be great. Um, <laughs> I love the Midwest. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting myself into one of my divots, but um, I don't know. I just let go, and I I I I care about my work, but um, I also care about the fact that it's not mine anymore. You know, it becomes um, it becomes the readers, really. And uh, you know, you're very fortunate if you get to hear from readers and hear what they took away. Um, but you know, it 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 is almost sorry not to go back to a very female thing, but it is a little bit like birthing pains. You just sort of forget them. And that's why you, some people want to have another child because you forget. <laughs> and with books, it's a little bit like that too. Like, I can't believe I, I can't believe it's sitting there because you can ask my husband. I mean, the, the years were off, just <laughs> kind of <laughs> awful. Like I just never thought I missed my book deadline. Um, it, I never thought I would get it into any shape. And then somehow you, you do, you find the combination of the point of views, you know, especially yeah, with both of you. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just let it go, let it go. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, Lisa, there was um, an article I read today. I actually posted it. If you guys are, we're on Facebook. And if you go to Facebook, you'll see things about our author sometimes. And there was, 
this great profile of you that talked about how important rejection was. And like oh, was this the massive Lisa Coe's a massive failure article? Oh. Well, it, that's it, not how I interpreted it. The headline it. was like, oh, Lisa that- Co finds success through massive failure, oh. which to me was like the funniest is, thing I've ever, I, that I is, could you not can't, stop. You know, I thought it was hilarious. It is hilarious. But <laughs> like, just FYI for anyone who doesn't know it, headlines are created by, you know, yeah, like the click <laughs> by the editor, not by the writer. The okay. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, so how was do you it feel? Failure or failures? Because um, I mean, it was singular failure, but it was massive, massive. singular <laughs> failure, which makes it different than a regular failure. Um, yeah, that seems hyperbolic. But the massive part is especially cool. I what think. I'm saying <laughs> is, I think that every writer can relate to like it's, it can be a very painful process, and then you see this shine. I mean, these books are beautiful. Looks like candy on a table. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, you guys have books that so look nice. really they look nice good together. together. They do, <laughs> right? The colors are yeah, they're like you yeah, should all each buy eight, all three because how right. can you not have them the together? Because mine. <laughs> On your shelf. Um, but it's, but it's, you know, it can be a painful process and the, so then it's out in the world and then how do you feel? I mean, it's been, it's been amazing to hear from readers who read it. Like that blows my mind over and over again, but it is definitely a really different way of looking at your work because you're just all of a sudden you're like just all marketing, all publicity instead of sitting alone in your yeah, depressing so apartment like banging your head against the wall trying to figure out how to write this novel and <laughs> going through massive failure. So, you know, yeah, you're you're approaching it from a really different point of view and it's also it's also interesting because you're like it's something that you started so long ago at least for me and I'm a very different person than I was when I started writing it in 2009, but it's like at this point where I feel like it's written by somebody else almost yeah. and it's at that point that I have to talk about it the most so <laughs> it's a very it's like an interesting place to be but it also allows you to kind of talk about it in that marketing way without feeling that attached to it yeah. um, which is a good thing do you agree yeah it, I, I agree with that it feels really far away which is not a bad thing I'm not upset about it feeling far away but it it does just feel like I haven't gone back through and reread it in its entirety, really since copy edits, which I really tried to read as little as I could and still do the copy edits. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the element of marketing your book, like giving interviews, public speaking, writing a personal essay, which is not a genre that you've ever chosen to write before. Like <laughs> these are all skills that don't really have any bearing on the alleged skills that produce the book. So I think that's funny. I feel like the best anecdote I can tell about like just having to like be distant from my book is that um one of the very first Amazon reviews I got, and this is actually the only time that my agent has ever scolded me was for reading Amazon reviews, which I am still flagrantly doing, but <laughs> Stop right it was now. this woman who, and she was kind enough to specify that she had only read 30 pages. So at <laughs> least there's like a disclaimer. And it was a nice thing because a lot of people left comments like you've convinced me to buy the book, but she was like, I've only read, <laughs> what did she say? She was like, I read a, a description. It sounds like a ripoff of the corrections by John. Well, so the headline of the of the Amazon review was every bit as talentless as Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> That's so it's like a high sounds like a ripoff of the corrections. Like she phrased it as like, I'm so smart, I like sussed this out. It's like a secret ripoff of the corrections. She doesn't know her geography. And she was like well. 30, 30 pages in. <laughs> 30 pages in, there was an appearance of a character named Chip. I didn't bother to stick around for characters named Alfred and Denise, like stopped reading. And then she was like, NB, I control F and found a character named Denise. <laughs> This is obviously, she was like, I thought the corrections was stupid and I'm not planning to read the pastiche either. And I was like, 
what do you do like with that? Like, what do you, what can you learn? Same question as my book. Send like, her a map of America. What I will say <laughs> is that my good friend Julie, who I think maybe has read for you, oh, yeah. Julie Benton, Julie Benton, had her book come out in April, and we like had so much fun talking about this review she got. Her book is about two teenage girls in rural Michigan. One of them has a drug problem in the '90s or whatever, early aughts. Yeah. Somebody reviewed her book and was like. I like knew this plot seemed familiar and then I realized it was a ripoff of um, the two gentlemen of Verona. <laughs> Obviously she made some changes because cross-dressing would not fly in a modern novel. What? And so that was like a joke that we made for months and then we found out it was the same woman on Amazon. Oh. Wait, wow. So it's like you can't really get too deeply upset but also like what? <laughs> like that's someone who reviewed your book on this website yeah. like what what do i learn from that experience probably nothing there are, you shouldn't learn yeah. you shouldn't be reading that you gotta no, stop I know, now I know. there well, are but, good but it's giving me this great anecdote to tell people yeah totally <laughs> there are good book critics and bad book critics and the bad ones write amazon reviews yeah. or good good reads or what? read good reads oh good reads. i know and goodreads seems like it's like a friendly community it's really scary it's good, as an name. author <laughs> everyone's like so excited so to be there scary. they're like i was so thrilled to get this free galley it was i atrocious. hated it <laughs> it's so fun that's exactly Jesus. <laughs> people are the worst no they're great I so love grateful they're great. so grateful yeah. they bought the book the readers are great <laughs> Well, I don't, think he's, I don't think he's in the biz anymore, but in my day. Oh, there's that guy. With the, oh, he's one star poet. Is he I've still? I've heard about him. I've heard about him. Like on, on day one, right? He leaves one star review. Yeah. And I I am, um, I, I, I actually am really draconian about not reading my reviews. So I don't know, but usually my husband will scan. And with my first <laughs> book, he let me know that the one star poet had struck. And um, I remember being disappointed because it wasn't, I, I some of his things he was upset about were, were apt and I, I don't know anyway oh no just yeah. <laughs> well but then also you see and that you, know, like, it's you in, click it's on in... the person it's such a oh, it's such an nefarious setup but like you click on the person and they like they've only given five star reviews to like slippers yeah. or like yeah. swiffer pads <laughs> like, it's, it's they so review awful. swiffers and books yeah yeah it's Amazon yeah. like most people everything. don't Bathroom buy books on Amazon they yeah. buy household products yeah. including my fiance despite my violent objections he uh -oh. buys he buys a lot of household products. Certain feuds, certain feuds. <laughs> Family feuds. Oh my god. Okay, guys, somebody needs to do like a project where you collect all these crazy reviews and like create a chat book yeah. out of them and like you with can't illustrations or do a reading. We should do. Reading. <laughs> a reading. That's a brilliant idea. Somebody start that series. I think that exists. That exists. I think it does. You have Rick Moody's Hotel Nor whatever it's Hotels of North America, which is all written kind of Yelp, through like right? Yelp reviews of oh, hotels. Oh, okay. Have you seen, oh, and now I'm going to, I can't remember the name. Oh, it's um, Yelp reviews by Cormac McCarthy. Yes, hysterical, beautiful. It, it, That's it, incredible. It's a, it's a satire, of course, but it's it's brilliant. You should look up the Yelp reviews by Cormac McCarthy. It's, one, it's, of, it's, it's one of it's the most amazing things. told it's in the style on, of all of his on novels. The internet. I mean, it's awesome. Check it out. <laughs> um, I'm just going to ask a couple of quick more quick questions, and then I'm going to dive into that magic silver box. And y'all are going to be winners, or like a couple of you will be winners. Um, <laughs> I have to ask because I noticed, and I don't know, Lisa, if you ever lived in France. No. Okay. We can loop you in on this anyway, because I just, I noticed that, Angelica, you lived in France, I think, for a year, right? Mm -hmm. And you were teaching... Uh, English to French first graders. English and French elementary schools, yeah. Yes. 
And Courtney, you lived several years in France, and for several years you were a party promoter for Corona Extra. So yep. similar jobs. <laughs> I may have gone to one of her parties, probably not. Oh God, I, Corona was it on a boat? So I mean, they, I guess there were they, it was on everything, all sorts of vehicles and Corona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, buses. <laughs> but maybe we can all talk about like the idea of travel or being in different places and how that affects your writing, if at all. Well, usually makes me want to move to the place I'm writing. Mm -hmm. um, let's think. Mm -hmm. mm. Can you write about where you are? Where you are? You have to leave that place. You can go different ways with this question. You know, what is? How does it inform you to to think about the different places you've been when you're writing? I think it's easier sometimes. Maybe just it's easier for me to write about Los Angeles, which is where I'm from, when I'm not there. But I think that might be because when I'm there, I, I don't. You know, I don't have a car. I stay in my mom's house. Like it's kind of a weird visit existence. Um, but I had I did a residency for the first time while I was writing this book, and that was an amazing experience for me because it was coming at the end of a year that had been so bad, and I had felt like I had made so little progress, and I was just feeling so worthless. And then I did this residency, and I was living in a barn in Montauk, which was, would have been nice regardless. Um, and just I had that experience where like you sit down for just hours and you just kind of drop down further and and genuinely are just in it and not paying attention to anything else. And it was it was really useful for me to know that I could still do that, that I still had that skill somewhere. Um, so I think that just kind of not being in your normal life, I think, can for me is useful and either you can just travel if that's an option or you can get people to you know give you a place to live and go do that so i think it's I, i'm i'm just realizing i i realizing that i think of myself as someone who you know loves nothing more than writing about the place in which i am but it's not true in fact i'm like a hoarder of vacations and stuff so like with my first book which takes place in in Paris and you know, m mostly in France. Um, I wrote it when I was living in France, but ended up having to rewrite it completely 10 years later when I was living in the Berkshires and France was just sort of a memory. And then with this book, which takes place almost exclusively in New York, you know, I was basing it off memories um, from w when I worked as a full-time freelancer or whatever. So like, part-time in New York from, I don't know, six or seven years ago and, and you're drawing on it. And now I'm working on a, I'm trying to adapt a chat book I wrote like six years ago that takes place in Mexico <laughs> and I'm trying to write the novel now and I am not in Mexico. <laughs> and I, 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 it's weird. I didn't, I, I am not the person that I thought that I am. <laughs> Did you just have an <laughs> epiphany in Queens? Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. David, that's yeah. for you. you yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm a restless and anxious person, so you know, <laughs> maybe some people can identify. Um, so I I find it really helpful to constantly change where I am. Um, so residencies are wonderful um, when I get into them. You know, making my own residencies, like I'll often just like go to someone's house when they're out of town yeah. just to Do change up my location. Yeah, <laughs> for the most part, I might be coming to your house soon. Yeah, you can come to ours. Coming soon. Okay. <laughs> awesome. 
Um, yeah, I mean, the book takes place mostly in New York and China. So New York, I know really well. China, I went to visit and did research and then <clears throat> ended up writing it in many different places over the years. That's that's actually a kind of leads into the final question I had for you, because Lisa, I noticed that you have done a lot of residencies and um, I guess I wanted to ask each of you, how do you get the work done? Like what, what Courtney, I, I know that you say you work from home and Lisa, do you write it all at residencies? What is, what does it look like to, to, what is it, do you have a writing, typical writing schedule? I mean that, who does? I don't know, I some people do, but how does the writing happen? When, oh where? Um, yeah, the residencies have been amazing. I mean, I think I'm mostly a binge writer, so I don't write every day. I have to work. You know, I've had, I had a full-time job for most of the time that I worked on, on the levers. So, you know, writing took place like on the weekends or in the early mornings if I could actually get up on time. Um, but a lot of it took place in residencies where I just like binge like six months worth of work in four weeks and wow. get so much done because I knew that time was really precious. That's um, amazing though because you really need to know where you're going. Yeah, it was like, so, it was built up over so much angst of like sitting in my cubicle day after day and like yeah. dreaming about it. And then I would get there and just be like, okay, this is all I have. It's like all my vacation for the year. That's now I have a freelance job, so I just like spiral every day. Like <laughs> I just feel like I sit down and I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, oh, Let's check yeah. Twitter. Oh, don't God, yeah. I'm depressed. You know, yeah. so I'm still figuring it out for the second book. I um, I actually try to maintain a pretty rigorous schedule. Um, so we have a young daughter, and so every the only way things get done is thanks to having a really good daycare. But in general, I try to be in front of my desk at nine every weekday and do literary stuff from nine to like one. And sometimes I write by hand because otherwise I'm like, let me check the Twitter as well. Um, and then I shift, I work in marketing and branding. And so the afternoon I shift to marketing and branding work if I have it. And, um, and um, I, I try to never work on the weekends. I find that at this period of my life, I really deeply need a, a true, true break. So I try not to um, do any work at all, um, literary or otherwise. I mean, I read for pleasure, but no, I try to even, I don't even do like emails if I can help it, but mm. that's that's in a perfect world, not during like book promotion season. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're my hero. Yeah. Weekends? <laughs> yeah. Hey, have, keep, try to, weekends are really important. Time off is really important, I think. I for most of the time this does not apply to currently right <laughs> but for most of the time while i was writing the book i think that um i didn't have a schedule but I, I write in the mornings like it was supposed to be the first thing i did you know once i just got through my morning routine um i'm not somebody who could have a full full day and then maybe at six be like maybe i'll sit down and write for a bit um but and for a while I, I couldn't write at home and i would have to go somewhere where there was no internet and then i just started writing when i was when my roommates were gone and I would just unplug the internet and as long as it was in another room, that was enough. Like the shame of standing up and <laughs> going to a different room and plugging it back in was was a strong enough motivator. Um, Did you remember to plug it back in before that's they got hysterical. home? No, sometimes they come home and be like, is the internet off? And I was like, it's not a huge imposition. Like just go plug it in. Um, but I don't, that's why I don't have roommates anymore. Um, but I, yeah, going to a residency was amazing for me and it's funny because I wrote so much at my first residency. I don't, it would be funny to look at how much of that 
actual material made it in, but just the feeling of making progress and feeling like I had written a bunch of stuff, even if I was going to go back and rewrite it or get rid of it was really useful. And then I did my second residency. My book sold while I was there. So oh, wow. it's U-Cross in Wyoming. It's like the most, <laughs> literally the most idyllic place I've ever been. And uh, the first couple, it was like a, it was like a joke. The first couple of weeks I was like drafting short story and then my book went out and then I like couldn't do anything. Yeah. But I just like read and went for walks and like talked to the, you know, the animals. And um, <laughs> so that was also useful because it was while my book was out. And I think yeah. not being in New York was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have been like what Lisa, I mean, I am not a binge writer, but at residencies, I have gotten so much more done mm. consistently all two times. But yeah, I've read the importance of like just, I don't know, giving yourself a chance to sleep. Right? What? What? No. No, I don't know. Sleep? sleep. I don't know. I don't know what that is either. As I've told almost everyone in the room, my son turns one tomorrow. So I haven't slept, you know, for a year. Um, All right. (laughs) Because I'm tired. We're going to move on to the magic silver box. Everyone applaud. Yes. All right. Angelica, I heard you talking about you talk to the animals at the residency. So I'm thinking of an animal. And whichever one of you chooses an animal that is closest to the animal I'm thinking of will get the first question out of the magic silver box. Just to make it official, I'm going to whisper my animal over here (laughs) so you know I'm not lying. No, no. no. All right. That would be awesome if one of us lied. <laughs> like I got. This. All right, I got the animal is in the ear of our storybook shop seller, Gabby. Here, Angelica, name an animal. Bengal tiger. Whoa, specific. <laughs> Crocodile. Okay. Cockroach. <laughs> A what? Ooh. Cockroach. Oh, geez, wow. Okay, so we have Bengal tiger, <laughs> crocodile, crocodile, cockroach, cockroach, and the answer is. She forgot. She forgot. <laughs> she forgot. Well, now, now, how do we know? Right. Yeah. I am having an infestation in my apartment of cockroaches. She wants so to know sorry. if it's antelope. It was antelope. You remembered. It was antelope. I think that the closest to tiger, an antelope tiger, is a tiger. tiger right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't want to be a jerk, but it's yeah. definitely the closest. I mean. <laughs> Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pull rank. <laughs> All right. So, guys, I just want to give a quick shout out. Um, we do have other. If you come back in other months, we also give out gift certificates from Sweet Leaf Coffee and gift certificates to a story bookshop. We're doing a little differently this month. We have some other prizes. First person gets a drink Ooh. from the oh. bar. Can we play? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be friend or writer get them a drink if you want um, Angelica what is the last film you saw in the theater who asked this are you here great question I so I saw um, my actual birthday was last Thursday but I thank you I celebrated it on Saturday and I went to see the big sick at Nighthawk which is my local movie theater which I love because you can drink there and eat um, but so the big sick I really enjoyed, but actually the movie I had seen previously also at Nighthawk was called It Comes at Night. Have people seen it? I really, really liked it. So that's my plug. I don't want to tell you if you don't already know what it's about, you should not look up anything about it because I went in fairly 
pure. I just need to know if it's it is, scary. It sounds very it's, scary. It's, I mean, has anyone seen the movie It Follows from a couple of years ago? I would compare it to It Follows. It is disturbing and definitely a scary-ish movie, but it's being marketed as like a zombie horror movie, and it's not that. It's much more like look within, like <laughs> it comes. we're all night. evil. It comes at night. Yeah, okay. what is the it? We don't know. So we got like that was a great it's question really, and a really good answer. Good. Thank yeah. you. All right. Yeah, and eating and drinking during movies is great. Unless yeah. you're chewing too loudly and bothering people. The only time it it actually bothered me at that theater was we went to see Get Out and it was great because it was a Thursday night like people were rowdy, like everybody was really into it. But the servers are amazing at Nighthawk. Like usually yeah. you don't even notice them and in Get Out I was really like I don't want to miss a second of this like you're blocking my view. Yeah. Like stop delivering that person's hamburger. So that was the only time it really bothered me. But it's you know, it's it's a it's a fine catch as catch can. All right, well, now I want food because <laughs> we're talking about. All right, um, maybe there'll be food involved in the prizes. Maybe only one woman can tell us to tease you. All right, so um, we're down to Courtney and Lisa for the next one. I'm thinking of a neighborhood in Queens. I know. I know, right? Which is closest? Is that where you have Whoever is closest <laughs> to the neighborhood, I'm guessing. I'm not even going to tell Gabby what I said because she's not going to remember. You're just going to have to trust me. She's asking a friend. Asking a friend. Courtney, you want to you get advice from Astoria? <laughs> Are you asking if Astoria is in Queens? Yes. Your answer is Astoria? Okay. Um, I live far, far away. <laughs> Corona. Oh. And Corona. All right, guys. I was inspired by the dumpling story mm, okay. and I went with flushing. Okay. So Lisa's Corona. the winner. Lisa's the winner. So you, we should all just, I should bring maps of Queens so everyone can get to <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so whoever asked this question, <laughs> Lisa's <I'm> scared. <laughs> You are going to get a gift certificate to the Gantry Restaurant. Hello, food. Food. Yeah. Um, it's just a few blocks down the street. Same owners as bar and really good food. And I think they serve till 11, so you can still get something tonight. Or come back to another event here and get dinner beforehand. You have choices. Lisa. Yes. How much control did you have over <laughs> the cover design of your book? This is tricky. I hope no one from your publishing house is in the room because the <laughs> second part of that question is, what was the worst idea for the cover? <laughs> Who asked this question? What a good question. Well, if nobody from the publishing house is here, that's they should is have been anybody here Anybody from my you. publishing house here? Do you have people? <laughs> no, that's why I said that. <laughs> that um, I was actually really surprised at the cover. Um, well... <sighs> Before or like around the time I got the book deal, I remember like sort of half joking about my nightmare covers and they were mostly like Chinese stereotype covers, which kind of often haunt the covers of books written by Asian American and Asian authors. So things like a woman's eyes or like a long sheath of black hair or, you know, and then I remember making up all these like 
terrible cover ideas with friends of mine. It's like a panda holding chopsticks with a takeout, <laughs> like a pagoda in the background and blah, 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 you know. And so I was really adamant when I wrote my publisher. I was like, I don't want this. I don't want this. This is what I want. This is what I want. And they delivered. I was really, really, really happy. Um, so it only went like one or two rounds in terms of the font and the colors. Um, but that was great. And I love it. Um, I do have like a kind of shit talking story that I can share, which is about the audiobook. Mm-hmm. And I hope nobody involved with <laughs> that is in the house. But I didn't realize as a debut author how um, little control you have over the audiobook. So it was basically done by a separate company from my, my book publisher. Um, and I wasn't really consulted or anything about the cover. So it just kind of came out and I was alerted to it. And the cover was actually a woman's eyes, like a oh. sexy woman, Chinese why, why woman's eyes. Yeah, why I don't know. And I was actually shocked and, and really like actually really angry because it's not about, it's not even about a woman like the, <laughs> <laughs> like, and the copy on the CD is like a 12 year old boy living in New York City. I'm like, well, <laughs> I feel like this, like, and it's like a sexy woman kind of like hiding her face with her like oh, arm God. and stuff. And then, and like, mm. yeah, so it's really trying to like push this like sexy exotic angle. Mm. Um, but I feel like people might be a little disappointed if they go into it thinking that's what the book is about. And it's about <laughs> like a 12 year old boy in the Bronx. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. <laughs> mm. It's well, the, the, the hard copy book is beautiful and feels really nice. Yeah, it's really, it's nice and soft. Like, feels good. Feels real good. That's what we want from books. Courtney, you don't have to guess any animals <laughs> or neighborhoods. You just get this question. Okay. All right. Thanks. And this is, this is very exciting because for those of you who've been paying close attention throughout the evening, <laughs> you've heard reference to this chat book notes from Mexico by Courtney Mom. You get this copy of the chat book if this is your question. Isn't that exciting? I bet you would even sign it. Maybe. I, I could do that. You yep. could. <laughs> it's not signed yet. You could even personalize it. I'm nervous. I'm nervous <laughs> about this question. I don't, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. These questions have been hard. <laughs> well, I won't ask you was, any of those previous questions. No, but when you live nowhere in your movie theater, that's a, and you're married to a filmmaker, that's a question that makes you sweat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Truth. All right, Courtney, I think you can handle this. All right. One. Okay, I'm ready. Just for you. What book or books do you reread most often? <laughs> the corrections. <laughs> That talentless oh, hack. No, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, yay. Okay. Most often. Okay. Um, there was a period in my life where, like, every three years, I read The Information by Martin Amos, Corrections by our friend, The Talentless <laughs> Hack, Jonathan Franzen, and um, um, Confederacy of Dunces. Like every three years, I reread them. But that period of my life has now been replaced by I reread um, Department of Speculation, Renata Adler's Speedboat, and Catherine Lacey's Nobody Is Ever Missing. See, you did really well with that Thank question. You. Yeah, you had a great answer. And I just want to tell you because it's Queens and we throw in a surprise at the last minute, what? I'm going to ask one more question and you can all answer it briefly. It's kind of a difficult question. Mm-hmm. I just kind of loved like the essay format that it's written out in. It's very <laughs> And whoever asked this question, if you're still here, I don't know. 
you also get a gift certificate to the gantry. What? Whoa! Surprise! Whoa. I'm telling you, you never know what will happen here. Never. <laughs> All right, guys. <clears throat> we need some dramatic this is music. A really long question. <laughs> is it like a paragraph? <laughs> it is. It's 2042. Oh. Your 2017 novel is being published in a 25th anniversary hardcover edition. <laughs> you are asked to write a brief introduction which covers the highlights of your career spanning the past 25 years. <laughs> let's, hear what you, let's hear what you want to say. Does the asker of this question here? Yes! <laughs> Who is it? Who is it? Why did I not see them raise their hand? What are the highlights? So the question is, what do you want your retrospective to be in 25 years? Basically? Yeah, what what well, do you want the next 25 years to hold in your life as a writer? Uh, each book did at least well enough that the next book was published. That's what I wanted to say. I wanted to say like more than one book was published because people continued buying enough of her books that the next book was also published. I love and how this... There's now, I don't know, more than two of them. I shouldn't have cut you off, but I love how it sounds kind of like a, like a was it an epitaph? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. She's dead, but... She's dead, but she sold books. Mm, let's see. Courtney's third novel came, uh, was written uh, during the impeachment of <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> right. If there literally is still... If, right, if a publishing and, and, and industry it was thanks or a that country that people are right. uh, that Courtney's still allowed to write books, but she was just so happy that she went on an extended vacation, and we're still <laughs> waiting for her fourth book. That's <laughs> no, I think if there's anyone reading or the country is is okay, and there's a publishing industry, like we're all winners. Like who cares what my career was? <laughs> wow, Darkness. I don't know what this says about me, but my first thought was to say something like. After the apocalypse, <laughs> Lisa Ko only survived mere hours <laughs> without her allergy pills, and her moisturizer, and her contact lenses. And so after that, um, after we rebuilt civilization from anew and learned how to print again, um, we're happy to release her first book. The contact lenses thing is like, yeah, I I've think been all the time of, how I'll, I'll, be about this, like, I'll be like a sitting all this stuff duck I need, like, during the apocalypse. Yeah, I won't be able to lose see, my contact lenses. Like, yeah. Stockpile now. Angelica, <laughs> that's why I got laser surgery. I know. I think about that all the time. You should actually <laughs> prepare. I think that's really good. There's apparently a whole planning. demographic of like techies billionaires, who are getting yeah. music in yeah. preparation for the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. I heard this recently. Okay, so billionaires and There is your trend forecast. Yeah. Death. <laughs> and laser, and laser, laser surgery. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, guys, let's give it up for our heartwarming panel. All right, Lisa Co, Courtney Mom, Angelica Baker, their books are all here. Remember. That's today's show. If you like what you heard, tell a friend or leave a review wherever you found us. Special thanks to LIC Bar, the Astoria Bookshop, and our amazing intern, Nadine Santoro. A big thank you to our sponsors over the years, LIC Corner Cafe, Sweet Leaf Coffee, Court Square Diner, and The Gantry Restaurant. This episode was recorded by Carl Jacob and mixed and edited by Justin Alvarez. Our theme music is by Pat Irwin. 
The LIC Reading Series is made possible in part by the Queen's Council on the Arts with public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota. See you next time in Queens.